Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we will discuss Avengers Endgame. Released in 2019, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. On a budget of $356 million, this film grossed $2.79 billion worldwide, making it the second most profitable film box office-wise of all time behind Avatar. It didn't beat Avatar? I thought it did. It lost by like $50 million. Did the first one beat Avatar? No, not in, Avatar is still number one. I thought I read... Oh, it beat Titanic. Yeah, Titanic. Titanic is three. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how the Roosters pulled this off because it's an astounding movie. And Endgame just, I know Infinity War in a lot of ways is a better movie in terms of it's got better pacing and uh, I think it's laid out really smoothly. It's just a, a tight action thriller. But Endgame is just a great um, conclusion to these four phases that Marvel put together over the last decade or so. And I mean, I can't believe they pulled it off. Just the first Avengers movie seemed like an impossible task. But then to pull this one off is just mind-blowing, and uh, I think the, the Russos knocked it out of the park with this movie. Yeah, Infinity War and Endgame are very different movies. Infinity War is sort of like that ultimate crossover event in cinema history, having all these characters, all these franchises coming together, not working together completely, but all being in the same movie, whereas Endgame is the, the accumulation of, the culmination of that 11-year journey from Avengers one even you could say from from iron man one and it's the ultimate payoff i think this movie it's impossible to leave unsatisfied if you've seen them all and it's cool because it has this like post-apocalyptic feel the 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 themes of the movie have changed in there they're mostly what i see are grief pain loss guilt and redemption of like the main themes of this film and i i really love it it's a dark opening like the other one and it opens with, you know, Clint's family fading away, and I think that's smart because it grounds the trauma of what's happened in the universe for the audience to emotionally connect, other than showing, like, they could show all these other planets and, and universes and galaxies and what's happening to other beings, but they just do it with, with Clint and his family. The best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at RaidersoftheLostPodcast.com. Patrons get perks like messages, personalized videos, daily posts, podcast schedules and top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast as well as all patrons get entered into monthly giveaways head on over to our new website raiders of the lost podcast.com to check out all of our sources of content our merch our apparel our custom movie posters and you can also become a patron there be sure to follow on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe on youtube if you're watching it's a great prologue to the movie and that was originally going to be in the first film infinity war they were supposed to show. They were gonna show Clint scene while in a, in that montage of everyone getting dusted, but they the Russos thought it wouldn't really make sense because you hadn't seen Clint at all in the film. So then they wisely changed it to make it the prologue opening of this film, and it really works because I think what was it a year between these releases, so it had been a while, and to just be reminded of uh, the cost of Thanos's actions on someone that we know and love, I think was a really smart way to open this film. And this movie has, I th I feel like this movie just is a, a, a harken back to like the fun 80s and 70s action movies and sci-fi flicks. Like it's just like it, it even references a lot of great pop culture films. And, you know, it, it's just it's just a fun sci-fi ridiculous time travel story, which I thought was really refreshing for it. Yeah. And 
it doesn't have the the ticking clock you could say that Infinity War has, where they're trying to stop Thanos from collecting these these stones. There is that's a, a great point. Yeah, yeah, there is a ticking clock in terms of like when they're going back in time and they have to quickly get the stones before these events happen. But it's not the same feeling in terms of we have to get this accomplished by the end of the movie. Whereas there's there's very deep and dark beats in this movie. Like the opening, obviously, it, it's un Avengers like where they open with. It has Iron Man and Nebula floating away, and they're saved by by uh, Captain Marvel. But then they have this assassination of Thanos, which is very un-Avengers to just basically be hitmen in a way and, and just to chop his head off. It's we never really seen them act that way before. And then it just ends and goes into black, and then five years later. So there are significant beats in this film that slow it down tremendously. You're right, because the ticking clock in Infinity War is its strength because it feel it seems as though and so, like, the, the entire plot of Infinity War happens within a few hours. This is just, like, unrelenting. And that's its strength of how quickly it moves, but it moves really effortlessly through the storyline. But it, but in terms of Endgame, it's well over five years' worth of time spent um, in the story. And so it's a huge difference in terms of the ticking clock doesn't start until the second half of the film once they get going. And I, I when they do get going and they do travel through time, I thought it was so fun how they... They revisited previous scenes from the older films. Like, I love the sequence when um, Tony is sneaking around his own um, building while he's watching the original Avengers scene when the Avengers are talking to Loki. And he's, like, sneaking around the corridors. And I just love that aspect of revisiting previous situations like Cap fights Cap. And you have a callback to that elevator fight scene. It's not the same elevator, but it harkens back to that great moment of Cap fighting those guys in the elevator in Winter Soldier. And I, I really love Tony getting to to see his father again since his death and having a, a, a pleasant conversation. So there are a lot of things that they put into this film when they travel back in time that I really loved in this film. Yeah, and I, I like that too. It's like nostalgia at the same time while you're watching yeah. it. And Infinity War, obviously Thanos is the lead character of that story for sure. And it follows and highlights his philosophy. It builds empathy for the audience for him. And as we try to see the justification of his actions and his supposed destiny that he's fulfilling. And also it shows that Thanos is a clearly superior being. They can't stop him, even though they're all together by the end of the movie. And that snap, it ends friendships, ends relationships that Marvel's been building for decades. And after Marvel achieved like all these emotional connections for the audience, it just they make us watch it end between all of them. And... It, all these characters are dealing with grief. They're dealing with loss and pain. And they're eventually working towards their hopeful redemption. And on top of that, what I thought was really smart with the, the producers and, and Russo's is uh, they eliminated the, the second and third phase and fourth phase Avengers. This is just the OG Avengers. Except for a couple. Like well, Rocket, yeah, Rocket Nebula. They, I, they still needed the connection to the galaxy. Mm -hmm. So they kept those. But for the most part... The main squad is is it. It's just the, the original six from the first two Avengers movies. And I really love that because it's like it started with those six. And so this fine, this phase should end with these six. So I thought it was really great. And I love all the new characters. But just having the, the old characters, there is already an, an element of nostalgia towards them. Because, I mean, you don't say we grew up watching Iron Man. But he was the, the first two Marvel movies. So... It's great to see those six be in charge of the story in this one. Yeah, and the thing with this movie is when they open it up and they kill Thanos, 
like when you're watching it, you're like, oh, they're going to go to Thanos. And they're going to try to figure it out. They're going to get all the stones. But Thanos is unguarded. He's exposed. He's he's just hanging out, collecting fruit and like building pots of soup in his, in his little cabin, <laughs> chilling. And he's, he's, a, he's a wreck. He looks like half his body is burned to pieces. It's burned to ash. And they just take him out. And after they learn that he used the stones to destroy the stones. And it's like the first time watching a Marvel movie where you, as an audience member, you feel like hope is completely lost they've they've lost they can't change the past the fate is done nothing they can do can bring back all those people they've lost and then it's again that dark cut to black five years later and everyone's grieving the survivors are the phase one plus ant-man scott eventually comes out of the the quantum realm the nebula and rocket and captain marvel hangs out for a bit but she's helps kill thanos but then she bounces because she has a lot to do in in the universe and i love the idea of each character is dealing with their psychological trauma of the blip in certain ways. So you have Natasha, who's like, she's trying to keep a hold of things. She's trying to, like, oversee the operations in some capacity of everyone else who's still kind of part of, you could say, the Avengers. And um, But she's also obsessed with trying to locate Clint, who has um, gone rogue. And um, he's off the grid. And I think that he's dealt with the trauma in the most uh, radical way where... Uh, losing his family uh, destroyed him emotionally, and he's become this assassin, not for hire, but he's basically choosing his own victims, and he's eradicating every criminal he can find, and he's basically acting as judge, jury, and executioner, and he's just leaving a wake of death in his path, and I think it was so fascinating, um, Clint's storyline in this film, because he's always been a, a very moral guy and a moral man, but to see the lengths to which he's turned to in this film was really enthralling. Plus, he's got that that haircut, the new one. What do you call that? Mock mock crop? Or, or, I have no idea. It's like, like a it's the high end, the high fade mo one. Mohawk. Yeah, I mean, he's got great hair, so he can pull it off. But yeah, you're right, Natasha. She's like sort of like the leader of what's left of the Avengers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But she's and she's taken the failure hard, including Clint. And you can tell that she's having trouble getting over the loss of her friends, as well as the billions on Earth. Not to mention the trillions around the universe. And you can clearly tell visually because she seems like a bit of a wreck holding it together. But also, her natural roots have grown in clearly for about five years worth. So she hasn't even dyed her hair. It looks like she probably hasn't even left the office in five years, and she's barely eating that peanut butter sandwich. So. You can tell that it's taking... She used the good peanut butter, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it is good peanut butter. Yeah. It's taking a toll on her, and it's taking a toll on everyone because Endgame shows the transformation of these characters who have now have to deal with their greatest character flaws that we've been watching through the years, which is now it's had the most impossibly dire consequences that they could ever imagine. I mean, whether it be Thor's arrogance, Tony's narcissism, Cap's stubbornness, Bruce's lack of control, these weaknesses of the characters has led to the destruction of half the life on Earth because they couldn't stop Thanos. And speaking of Tony, Tony's basically quit the Avengers, it seems. He's he's basically on his own with Pepper and their daughter in the middle of nowhere. He's left his lab. He's left his company. 
and he doesn't even want to help them initially when they come up with the sort of time travel quantum realm idea. And he, he doesn't want to lose what he's got because he's saying that he, he has a second chance. Before we continue with this episode, we have some breaking news, and this important PSA is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped.com, and this is the service announcement you've been waiting for. Manscaped and their engineering team has confirmed that they've successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout at Manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping with our coupon code. We're the first people in the world to get our hands on the 4.0 trimmer. I'm telling you, somehow it blows the 3.0 out of the water. Manscaped does it with all of their products. Their deodorizers, their t-shirts, their boxer briefs are super comfortable. If it's your first time shopping for manscaped.com, I highly recommend their performance packages. That's what they send us like every couple months. It's got the trimmers, it's got deodorizers, boxer briefs, cologne. It's got all sorts of stuff that you need inside of there. So check out their performance packages with our coupon code Raiders of the Lost. That way you don't have to buy all the products individually and it reduces the price. And what what he means by that is he's worried that if if they go back in time and, and fix everything, maybe his daughter won't survive the change. And so he definitely has a, a strong motivation to not do that. But I really love, like you said, the opening sequence where he's floating through space with Nebula and he's obviously starving and malnutrition has set in and eroded his body and he's, he's extremely emaciated and it's incredible cgi what they did what they pulled off because if you look closely uh, in that scene after they after he returns to the avengers and he's on like an iv he looks so he looks like his body is 100 years old like elderly and so emaciated and skinny and they achieved that effect through cgi and it really looked looked incredible and it adds a lot to understand like this guy spent three weeks without eating, and he looks like it. You know what I mean? And and Tony's going through emotional ter- emotional turmoil, uh, and resentment, and he's he's dealing with resentment towards Cap because Cap wasn't there when he needed him. And I felt I think that Tony feels that if he if Cap was with him when he went to face Thanos, they probably would have stood a much better chance of defeating him, and pro- probably could have if Cap was there. But because of the events of Civil War, he wasn't there. He was on his own. Yeah, and this is a character arc arc that's lasted for 11 years now these two characters and you could say they're the two most important or the two leaders of the avengers or have been for the last decade and they're they're two characters that are even more connected than just the last 11 years of movies because tony's father howard stark was present during the process where steve rogers underwent the order to become america's first super soldier after receiving the super soldier serum from dr abraham erskine 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 Erskine? Erskine. Erskine, yeah. That sounds German, yeah. right? <laughs> so, Stanley Tucci. So th- their their connection and their storylines together, it actually goes back to the 40s in a way. So to watch them fight, or we've been watching them fight for basically three movies at this point, and it's finally taken, it seems like it's final toll. And eventually Tony understands that he's he, he kind of comes out of the blip thinking he's lucky he got away with his life. Pepper's okay. And he wants to start his second chance at life. Whereas in Cap, he's kind of taking this mindset where he still wants to help people because that's his biggest calling in life is to help people. And he becomes basically a, a group therapist in a way, helping people cope with their problems and the loss of, of life. He's trying to help people move on from their past and from the blip. And, and he's actually, ironically, still his past still weighing heavy on him, especially his old flame. And what's interesting about the blip is it seemed to have eliminated threats that the Avengers likely would have had to battle because it seems as though 
Tony, Steve, um, Thor, Rhodes. Rhodes, like they don't, they're not, they haven't really been doing much because there isn't much to do because so many um, beings lost their lives with the blip. And I know Captain Marvel and Rocket and them are doing things here and there, but it seems as though the threats that used to face Earth, they're not present anymore. So I think that a lot of the Avengers have lost their purpose and lost their meaning. And like Steve's trying to still con convey his his meaning in life and what he loves to do by still trying to help each others. But you have characters like Thor who have just completely gone off the, the, the wrong end of the spectrum. And uh, I, both a combination of hilarity and, and tragedy is, is Fat Thor. Uh, <laughs> that's what I have in my notes. No, you too, didn't. Fat Thor. <laughs> I name, I put everyone else's name. I put yeah, Fat Thor. I, so did I. I just have <laughs> Fat Thor right here. And Fat Thor is uh, easily the funniest thing in the entire film, and, and one of the funniest parts of all the Marvel movies. And, and Chris Hemsworth, uh, I, I think it was his idea to do Fat Thor, and it was so much fun. It's great to see because it's a play on you know the typical idea of Chris Hemsworth of being like this perfect. Uh, jacked physical specimen Thor in real life yeah but then to see him in a fat suit is just endlessly funny and, and it's a fat suit people it's not cgi and it's not real fat it's a suit yeah because they were filming like they, he, they would film end game scenes and then film an infinity war scene here and there so they had to bounce around but the thing with thor is he's refusing to deal with with the loss in his life he's refusing to deal with his failure his his inability to stop thanos yeah he's taken failure the failure of stop not stopping Thanos harder than anyone you can argue, and he solely blames himself for Thanos' success because he had the opportunity to kill him. But again, like we talked about in the Infinity War episode, he let his arrogance get the better of him. He didn't go for the head for the kill shot. He went for a body shot just so he could get in a line because of all the resentment resentment he had for Thor because he killed Loki in front of him. So as a result of his failure, he's also not just in denial, not just depressed, but he's full of self-doubt. And it takes the conversation with his mother later on when him and Rocket go to, to Asgard. It's only the conversation with his mother that fills him with confidence again and and makes him worthy of the hammer again, which is just a great scene in general. I love when he uh, defends uh, Korg and talks to his bully on the Fortnite stream. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, that was great when you brought up last time how, how did Korg survive the ship explosion because, yeah, yeah. in Valkyrie. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't make any sense, but yeah. it is what it is. But also we have another character who seems to kind of be thriving post-blip, and that's Bruce Banner <laughs> and Hulk, and he, he, he seems to be doing the best out of everyone, and given the circumstances, he's sort of figured out he, he figured out how to combine Banner and Hulk, so he's, a, he's like a little bit smaller than Hulk when he takes over. But he has like a fan base with kids and he takes photos and dabs. Be green. <laughs> Be green. It's so funny when they're at the diner and the, <laughs> the kids ask for a photo. Then Ant-Man's like, hey, you want a photo with me? They're like, uh, uh yeah, yeah. Bear's like, come on. Yeah, they want a yeah, photo they, with they you. Want a photo yeah, with they, you. they would love to. <laughs> <laughs> and then the kid's like, yeah, we'll do it uh, if it makes him feel yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ant-Man. <laughs> Scott's like, forget about it. So, so it's kind of interesting that Hulk, he's just like, happy-go-lucky in a way which is it's funny it works but also i feel like he should be having some emotional trauma which comes up later when when natasha dies obviously he starts to show that side of him but he might seem a little too positive for me well that is that is his emotional trauma that's how he's dealing with it well that's later on no but i mean i think that this is a result of his trauma maybe yeah you're right trying to morph the hulk because the I, okay yeah because his failure because he yeah. couldn't bring the hulk out exactly 100 percent and for that reason, I think that the Hulk wouldn't come out because he was afraid of Thanos. Because in, in Infinity War in the opening, 
he fought Thanos, and Thanos wiped the floor with him. Yeah. And so I think after that moment, Hulk was too afraid of Thanos to ever come out again. And so that's why he refused to come out when Banner was trying to bring him out. That is an excellent point, man. That's so, why we have you on the show. Thanks, bro. So I think that I think uh, Hulk was terrified of Thanos. Yeah, you're probably right. And so and so Banner, dealing with his trauma, decided that I'm going to try and take control of the Hulk once and for all. All right, so that's how he's dealing with his failure. And then Rocket, he's dealing with his th- failure too. But for him... He's tied to Thor still, and they're still buds in a way, kind of. Not really, I guess, because Thor's just chilling, drinking beer. But um, Rocket's sort of like in the Avengers crew now, uh, working under Natasha. But he's also dealing with the loss of the first family that he's ever had. And that's kind of what he's talking about to Thor when he's trying to bring Thor back to reality when they're in Asgard. He's like, he's like, you think you're the only person that lost somebody? Because Thor, in this film, in the last one, he talks about how he's lost his father. He's lost his mother. He's lost his brother. He had to kill his sister. And and that's when Star Lord's like, well, I had to kill my father. <laughs> but um, he's trying to to explain to Thor that everybody's lost somebody, and this is a an opportunity to to not reverse what happened, but to change it. Now, before we continue, I have to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. MoviePosters.com has teamed up with our podcast to offer a very special promo. Use the coupon code Raiders15, again, Raiders15 at MoviePosters.com to get 15% off your order today. MoviePosters.com has decked our set out with these amazing posters online. If you're watching on YouTube or TikTok and Instagram, you'll be able to see these posters for yourself. These are high quality, pretty much any kind of movie you can think of. Framing, sizing, backlighting, they do it all at MoviePosters.com. If you're a fan of film, if you're a fan of television, there's no better way to show that love than to deck your place out with a bunch of movie posters from MoviePosters.com. Again, use our coupon code Raiders15 at MoviePosters.com. And go ahead and check out our website, RaidersOfLustPodcast.com, to check out the Raiders of the Lust Podcast movie posters, which James and I have created for you fans to enjoy. Also being sold at MoviePosters.com. Again, Raiders15, Raiders15 at MoviePosters.com. I love when he when Thor is going over his history uh, to the Avengers, and he brings up um, now uh, Jane Foster, and he's like, "Well, technically, uh, it was mutually agreed upon to, to break up. <laughs> she didn't break up with me." Oh, yeah, when he's giving his speech, <laughs> <laughs> he's an absolute mess. And then we have uh, Nebula, who's probably gone through the most transformation in terms of her arc throughout the entire Avengers franchise and MCU. Who's now a hero, and she's part of this crew now, and she's trying to work with them to to figure out how to to change what happened and she has a super interesting storyline in this in this film too because there are two different versions of her at the same time but i think nebula she's probably gone through the most trauma of anyone in the MCU that we've seen and it's amazing for me to watch her be a hero in this film yeah she's i she's great in this movie and ultimately i think the the biggest takeaway from the opening of this film is that uh, thanos when he was carrying out his plan and, and finally enacted it, his belief was that once he killed half the beings in the universe, it would create balance and and communities would thrive because of the the less population. And what's happening especially on Earth especially is that we aren't thriving anymore. The, the world has become cold and quiet and stark and people are still like... Uh, Anthony Russo is actually acting in that scene with uh, 
with Captain America, with Steve Rogers in that in that help group, and he's the one who talks about going on the date with the uh, the man he's he's seeing. And uh, these two can't even go on a date without crying because probably everyone they know died, and the world has gone to, to crap. And I mean, the, they show that great shot of New York, and it's just the lights are off and it's quiet, and there are like hundreds of ships docked at Staten Island, which there aren't supposed to be ships like parked next to the Statue of Liberty. And no so, one's picking up the trash. Yeah, no, yeah. So the, the world has changed and it's gotten a lot worse. Like when Scott arrives and he's walking around and like the neighborhood he's walking through is like an absolute mess. And it's the neighborhood he know, he knows really well because his um his wife and daughter live there. And he, he doesn't make any he doesn't recognize what's going on at all because how bad things have gotten. And so I think Thanos what he was expecting didn't happen. Yeah, he he overestimated or underestimated the emotional toll that destroying half the universe would have. And I think that as we talked about in infinity war, he thought this would work because it seemed to work on Gamora's home planet. And that was for his way. Or of, so he says, so, yeah, that's what he says. Maybe it did work there. Maybe that those people were able to cope because maybe they're, they were in such dire circumstances of on the brink of, of extinction. You could say that, the elimination of half the planet left enough resources for mouths to be fed, you know? But we also, he, we don't see it. Yeah. So it could be just a, a, a form of manipulation for exactly. Thanos towards Gamora. Yeah, and he underestimated the emotional toll that this would have on everybody because you can, like, just looking at it from what he says, it's just simple calculus. When you think about it, it's like less numbers with the same amount of resources, you'll thrive. But people and, and beings, they have emotions. You know, some people maybe never lost a family member. Maybe didn't, maybe lost a couple cousins. Maybe maybe didn't lose too many people that were important to them. But you can imagine that some people were devastated with the amount of loss that they like, had. Like like Clint. Yeah, Clint lost his entire family. Instead of if you just odds out, he would have at most 50-50 lost two of them. You know, but he lost everybody. So just that toll on community and civilization and and all these beings, it just destroyed hope and destroyed life in a way you could say. Let's take this moment to go to our intermission, which is brought to you by our friends at manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Let's begin this intermission. Let's with, go with the movie quote competition first. So I'm going to say movie quote. Anthony has to guess it. Uh, and he's going to do vice versa. Whoever loses has to have a pinky cut off, and let's go. <laughs> it's balanced. Right. This one's pretty easy, but it's just a great quote. I think this would be fun for listeners. I'm going to get the papers. Get the papers. Good fellas. Yes. Jimmy two times. Jimmy two times. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Mine's good. When you're young, it's all fillet steak. But as the years go by, you have to move on to the cheap cuts, which is fine with me because I like those. More flavorful. Serial killer. No. no. Br British accent. <laughs> it's a comedy. I'll say it again. When you're young, it's all fillet steak, but as the years go by, you have to move on to the cheaper cuts, which is fine with me because I like those. More flavorful. Oh, man, it sounds so familiar. Whimsical. Whimsical director. Well, Guy Ritchie. Whimsical. Whimsical. Uh, just keep tell me the answer. I give up. It's uh, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh. oh. Gustav. Man, that's a good one. Yeah. Wow. I think I've only seen that movie twice. I think so. Oh, I thought you've seen it more. Yeah, I think I've seen it like two. That's times. my favorite line in the movie. Well, that's a good. Yeah, it's so good funny. It's good. All right, I lost. So pink, pinky off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <It's> bloody <laughs> guess movie release year. What year did Scarface come out? 
Okay, this is the 80s. Yeah, it was just Pacino's birthday, so... <laughs> 1981. 83. <sighs> Close. Damn. Okay. This I love the music to that movie. Yeah. We're going to watch it sometime soon. We it's should great. do an episode on it. The synths in that? Yeah. yeah so great. <laughs> okay, V for Vendetta. 2000. It's a single-digit year. Uh, it's not... It's not 2000. It's before 2009. It was before Batman Begins, which was 2005, I think. No, it was after Batman Begins. Unless it was the same year. Hmm. I'm going to say 2007. It was the same year. Oh, it was the same year as Batman Begins. God damn it. 2005. Should have went with my gut. <laughs> See my straight face? Yeah. <laughs> that was a good poker face. I was trying to read you. <laughs> Man. I was, I was pretending to act like I wasn't even listening. Lesson learned, everybody. Go with your gut. <laughs> yeah, you were right. Technically. Yeah, yeah, I was right. <laughs> Before you said it wrong, the wrong answer. You were thinking in the right direction. All right, movie pop quiz time. What is Stephen King's highest grossing movie based on his work? It. Yeah, good answer. Yeah. It used to be The Shining until it came out. What does it get? It got like 800 700 million. mil. Damn. For the first one. Crazy. Yeah, the second, second, second one only made 500. Like, yeah, only five. It was like, <laughs> like only 463 million. Like, what a <laughs> shitty movie. <laughs> it was a great movie. I like. It. I'm just kidding. There's a great David Fincher joke. I, I saw he was doing a, a Q and A. I can't remember what it was for, but it was uh, like the weekend after the first it came out, and someone asked him a question about like uh, executives at studios, and he's like, every studio executive got on the phone last night and said, "Do we have anything with a clown?" <laughs> <laughs> man, I hate execs. Man, I hate studio heads. All they, yeah, all they care about is money, man. <laughs> Do we have anything with a clown? What is it, a hashtag? It's a fucking movie, dude. All right. My question is, what was Christian Bale's first movie role? Oh, um, what's the Spielberg film? Yep. Uh, something of the, uh, some Empire of the Sun. That's right. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Got it. I think the hands down the greatest child performance of all time by one of the greatest actors of all time. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's, he's um, awesome. He's awesome. He's only like it. eleven. He's in the if the that. entire movie is him. No, I think he's like nine. He har- he acts by himself in a lot of that movie too, yeah. which is great. Two and a half hours mostly Christian Bale as the little kid, and yeah. it's an, it's a drama, but he's great. Yeah, John Pantoliano's in it too. So is Ben Stiller's in it. He's got a little cameo in it. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's Spielberg kid. <laughs> Spielberg kid. <laughs> that was a good. Uh, that was a good uh, round. Yeah, good job, guys. Yeah, yeah that's fun. Let's get back into Avengers Endgame. And so we basically have just gone over all the characters and what they're dealing with post-blip and their trauma and what their what their lives are like in this basically post-apocalyptic universe now. And things start to change when Scott, a.k.a. Ant-Man, comes out of the quantum realm in that van, which that rat just kind of triggers the machine back on, which is super interesting because according to the world, he's been gone for five years and he was assumed dead. And... The, the Russos did a great job by purposely not having him in the first film, Infinity War, just like with with uh, with Clint. And then he, when, he, when he comes out of the quantum realm, he was only in there for five minutes. So he experienced time completely differently. Yeah, because in Ant-Man 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, the Wasp was supposed to um, pull him out of the quantum realm, but the blip happened and she dusted. So 
he got stuck in there. And who would have thought that Paul Rudd would become the most important character in the Avengers universe? He's huge in this movie. He's like it wouldn't happen with if it wasn't for Ant Man. Like Scott Lang is the most important character in this movie. Yeah, and it's Paul Rudd. Like if you told me five years ago Paul Rudd would be the vital character in, in the Avengers, like conclusion i'd be like what <laughs> even when he got cast as before, that Man, same dude. before he got cast yeah. like what paul rudd yeah because it's a great concept and i love paul rudd he's a great actor i love him but love like him when death. you see him with like downey and cap and with with uh chris evans it's like kind of weird at first but it works really well but plays. he plays on that because yeah. especially the way he talks to captain america yeah like so in, the, in in civil war when um he he when he meets cap he goes uh what does he say he mixes it up he's like hi hi he says, "Hi, Scott. I'm 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 Captain America or something yeah, like that." Yeah, he reverses the names. Yeah, and then in this one, he uh, he's about to go in for the test, and he's like, "That's right, Captain America." <laughs> he's like a little kid. He always calls him just Captain America, never Steve. <laughs> so yeah, he, he's like a little kid to Cap, which is so funny. But um, they have he comes up with this plan of of time heist because it's not. I wouldn't say it's time travel. I think that they try to describe it, it to, to like quantum realm travel. Yeah, it's different because they're not like reversing time. They're just going into the quantum realm and exiting at a different point, which puts them at a different point in their timeline. Because I think what, this film would have so many grandfather grandfather paradoxes, which which means like how if I went back in time and killed my grandfather, how could I do that if my grandfather died in that timeline? So what they're doing is, I think they're explaining that by saying it's not reversing time. You're just coming out at a different point in this reality. So you're not creating a new reality. Well, Banner comes up with the the way of preventing the grandfather paradox by happening when he speaks to Tilda Swinton's character, uh, the, the ancient one. Yeah, the sorcerer um, supreme. No, that's that's Doctor Strange. She's the ancient one. No, but he's it's 2014. So okay. she, she's the current sorcerer supreme. You idiot. Jeez, Is have it? you even seen this movie? I thought that she was just the ancient one in general. No, Anyways, no, yeah, but at that time when Banner talks to her, sorry, there's a past. There's a lot of things. She's with Marvel. There's a ton of stuff. Yeah, nice someone's excuse. gonna be like, I can't believe you didn't know that she was the Sorcerer Supreme. Unsubscribed. <laughs> 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 so, anyways, <laughs> she brings up this problem to Banner where she illustrates that, like, if you change one thing, it's gonna spiral the timeline into a different direction. And so then he comes up with the idea, whereas. We're going to take the stones, but then when we're done with them, we're going to put them back where they're supposed to be. And the same thing with Thor's hammer, because if you remember, Thor takes his hammer when he goes back to 2014 Asgard. Um, and so, but and then when you look at the end of Endgame, when Cap goes back in time to put the stones back in place, he has the hammer with him because he's returning the hammer. And so Cap, at the end of Endgame, he returns all the stones to the place where they were just taken. So it was as if nothing ever happened. And so that way they eliminated the grandfather paradox. That's right. Yeah, I had that, and I was gonna say that. Oh, I'm sure you were. Yeah, I was. I have it in bold. Yeah, I have it in bold. I'm, Trust a, me. I'm sure it's a different color font too. Is it, <laughs> is it red? <laughs> Yellow background? No, 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 no. But still, you can say that like, there are par- grandfather par- paradoxes, despite that, in a way. Yeah. It's but it's fun. Just don't think about it like that. But the plan is a time heist, is what uh, Scott likes to call it, and they're gonna go back in time. You could say go through the quantum realm to release at different points with three different teams to achieve the goal of getting all six of the Infinity Stones from all the different locations that they can trace them back to and bring them back to their current timeline. So the first group is Tony, Cap, Bruce, and Scott, and they're going to New York 2012, which is the scene of Avengers 1. And there are three stones in New York at this time. There's the Space Stone inside the Tesseract, 
the mind stone inside Loki's scepter in the time stone, which is at the Sanctum Sanctorium. And Hulk gets the time stone by revealing to the Sorcerer Supreme that Strange gave it to willing gave it to Thanos willingly. Cap gets Loki's scepter when he fights himself. You know, that's America's ass. And <laughs> Tony and Scott, they fail at getting the Space Stone, which leads to, to Loki stealing it and disappearing. But then they go back in time again through the quantum quantum realm to 1970, improvising to New Jersey to steal it from Tony's father's lab, as well as more Pym par particles from Pym in his lab to travel in the quantum realm again. I love the de-aging effect of uh, Michael Douglas. It looked really good. It looked fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It looked like it was really him. And I love how they, they have the old school Ant-Man helmet in his, in his little office because he's like acting as the earliest form of Ant-Man back then. Yeah. Super fun. They should have grabbed some more of those pimp particles. I mean, I feel like... I know. He told, <laughs> well, I guess you don't want to take them you all. You don't want to take too many. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I really loved Tony interacting with his father because he's always had unresolved issues with Howard. Because Howard died when he was so so young, he didn't really ever get to know him. Howard was tough on him, and I think he just never felt like he connected to Howard when he was growing up. And to have that moment with with Howard, I think is is so important to Tony's character, and I really adored that exchange they had. Yeah, I think for him, it it gave him so much closure about his relationship with his father because ultimately he learns that his father wanted nothing but the best for Tony, and he wanted to protect him and wanted to make sure that he'd be prepared in life. And for him, you know, he, he reveals that his father was even harder on him in this scene. So you can imagine what his father was like to him. So. And Howard, he there are signs in the Iron Man movies of Howard showing how much he loved him, like leaving that rec leaving the equation and that, that uh, Super 8 film speaking to him. Yeah, he left his yeah. entire work to Tony. Yeah, leaving his work to him. So he always did love Tony, but I think what he says to Tony in this film is that uh, or some, or Tony says it to him like never. No amount of money no, can, can buy, buy more time. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's Howard's biggest flaw. And also in this moment in the, in 1970 at Camp Lehigh, Cap, aka Steve Rogers, sees his, sees Peggy, and this obviously is a catalyst for him realizing that he wished he could have time back with her again. And I think that if he didn't see Peggy in this mission, if he didn't go back into the 1970s. He probably wouldn't have chosen to go back to to live a life with her at the end of the film when he goes back to return all the Infinity Stones and Thor's hammer. So, in a way, not only did it give closure to Tony, but it gave a life purpose to Cap outside of being a superhero. Yeah, I agree. I think if he didn't see Peggy, he wouldn't have had the desire to stay and live in that in that era. And Cap's story. Of returning the stones will be its own movie. Yeah, that'd, that'd be it's cool. super cool just to think of him traveling to all these different times and and locations and and returning the stones to the to the the proper places. And I'm sure Chris Evans won't make another Marvel film, but it will be it's a great movie on its own part. Yeah, I'm sure they won't film a movie of it. I bet that they could make a comic book out of it or like a a, a cartoon or a CGI version animated. Yeah, film. I'd love to see something about that'd it. I think cool. it'd be really cool. Yeah, I bet I bet they make a comic about it. Um. The other parts of the mission include Thor and Rocket going to Asgard in 2013, where Thor and Rocket have to extract the ether from Jane. And this is a great scene for Thor, or mission for Thor, because as we talked about earlier, this is where he stumbles upon his mother, and this is the day that his mother dies back in, is it Thor 2, I think, right? Yeah. So 
Thor is still full of self-doubt. He he's trying to go get the the ale or the wine in the basement of of the, of the castle. <laughs> but um, and Rocket's trying to talk sense into him, but he disappears and he goes and finds his mother. And his mother is the one who obviously knows that it's not him really. It's him from a different time because she's, she's a, a witch. witch or she was yeah. raised by witches. Yeah. And I love when she's like, "Eat a salad." But uh, <laughs> through his conversation with his mother, he gets confidence back and he becomes worthy and rocket extracts the the either from natalie portman's jane which i would have loved to see on camera that yeah. must have been hysterical well they used uh they used deleted scenes and deleted footage never used footage from thor the dark world of natalie portman she didn't actually film for this movie she did uh, a little voiceover of one of the, a couple of the lines you hear but otherwise all the footage is from the dark world and they edited rocket into it that's pretty cool yeah. well I'm, I'm super excited to see her in the new thor movie uh, see, that movie's gonna be stacked it's gonna man. be it's gonna, it's gonna be, gonna be awesome. crazy so they get the ether from Jane, and then on Morag in 2014, Nebula and Rhodes are on a mission to get the Power Stone before Peter Quill gets it. So this is the scene in the opening of Guardians 1 where Peter's just dancing around. This is, the, this is my favorite part of the movie because, because we remember that scene, and it's so much fun. Chris Pratt as uh, Star-Lord dancing around. It's a fun song when it opens Guardians. But then it cuts to Nebula and him, and they just— it's their perspective of just seeing this idiot dance around, singing to himself <laughs> in a dangerous area. And then she goes, uh, and then uh, Rhodey goes, uh, so he's an idiot. She's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest part of the movie. And so they knock him out, and then Rhodes and Nebula extract the orb, and Rhodes is able to go back through the quantum leap to get back to the present timeline. However, Nebula's frozen because her network syncs with the nebula that's on into the 2014 as well but before we get to that the other stone mission is on vormir and this is where clinton natasha they showed up on morag with nebula and rose but then they take another ship to go to vormir and this is where they have to get the soul stone and natasha has to sacrifice herself to get the soul stone after they battle of who's going to die so is is the Black Widow movie? Is, it's going to take place sometime before this. Thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's before. It's going to be this. like in between, like Avengers movies. Probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it's in between or before the Avengers movies. Mm. It's probably in between. Yeah, I'd say maybe maybe after Ultron. She has some good funding, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So it'll probably be after Ultron, I would guess. Probably something like yeah. that. And so, in order to get the Power Stone, like we said, Rhodes takes it and goes away, but. What happens now is the biggest turning point of the film where you think they're going to succeed. They're going to get the stones. They got them all back in the present timeline. And you can even say that they do get all the stones in the present timeline. But because Nebula's computer syncs with the Nebula at this time, which at the time was working for Thanos, she's frozen and then she gets caught by Thanos eventually when she goes back to the ship. And this is how Thanos in 2014, before he has any of the stones discovers the plot of the Avengers trying to go back in time to get the stones after he successfully achieved his destiny of getting the stones and then wiping out half the universe. It's really cool because this, this movie shows the contrast of how characters change over time. Like Nebula is a great example of, like you said earlier, she is a hero and part of the Avengers now essentially, but in 2014 she's still devoted to Thanos and a, a supervillain. So I love the showing of contrasts between who people were in 2014 and who people were um, during the Endgame um, timeline. Yeah, and Gamora's also there. And Gamora in 2014, yes, was still working for Thanos loyally, but she 
as we learned, was always looking for a way to betray Thanos to get out of her situation. Yeah, if you think about it, this is days before guard. This is like the day before the Guardians encounter. Yeah, when is, she yeah. when she fights Star Lord. Yeah, so yeah. this is right before. Yeah, yeah, she goes to get the orb from Star Lord, and um, Nebula knows this. The present day Nebula knows this, and that's why when she's while she's being captured, she's trying to talk to Gamora like. You, like you know you want to leave him or you you know you want you know this is what you want out of your life but of but of course the nebula of 2014 is still evil in a way she's still wicked and that's when thanos cleverly sends her back forwards in time to the present day to just throw a wrench in everything in it and to um to begin his preparations of him traveling through time yeah it's a really genius uh plot by thanos and it shows like they showed Thanos is once again a great villain, but in a much different way. And he's he's kind of like we know we already know everything about him, and now it's it's great to see him just carry out these new this new plan of his. And uh, with Gamora, I, I I love that we got to see her again because I thought she wouldn't show up, obviously because we know the shoot they were gonna time travel in this film, and and I love that scene during the epic battle when she runs into Quill, and um. He goes up to her and he's like, Gamora. And he's like, I thought I lost you. And she like knees him in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> and then Gamora goes to Nebula. She's like, this is the one. And Nebula's like, yes. It was, no, she's like, it was between that or a, or a, or a tree. No, yeah, between that or a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But Thanos is such a different character in this movie compared to Infinity War. Because like you said, we've been building up to Thanos. We learned so much about him. And we empathized with him. And what he was doing, he seemed to have purpose with his destiny and, you know, in a way, it made sense in a psychotic way to restore order in a way. I just said way, way too many times. But um, in the first film, you could compare him to, like, Judeo-Christian teachings of God where God's trying to restore the planet with stories of, like, Noah and his ark or, or the plagues trying to, to fix the imbalance on Earth. But Thanos, after he realizes that his plan to create balance has failed in the sense that those who survived could never let go of the loss and pain that they have felt— and refuse to flourish like he wants them to, he diverts his plan to now destroy the entire universe and build a new one, a grateful one. And so now the stakes are the highest they could ever be. Because first it was, uh, he's going to wipe out half the galaxy, and now he's going to wipe out everything in the universe. And so the, the stakes somehow got raised. Bruce, as Hulk, snaps his fingers yeah. to, to reverse everything, and they... That he does manage to bring everybody back in time, but also at the same time, 2014 Nebula is in this timeline, and she opens the portal basically for Thanos to come through with his army. Great, great surprise, and it's shocking because he just t destroys the Avengers, uh, their entire uh, land, and uh, it's it's a fantastic fight between um, Thanos, Cap, Thor, and Iron Tony. Man and Tony, and it, it leads to probably my favorite moment of any Marvel movie, and it's when um, Thor is um, being attacked by Thanos, and he's literally seems like he's about to be killed by him, and Mjolnir, wow, I said it perfectly, flies across the uh, the area, and we think Thor is going to catch it, but uh, it lands right into Captain America's hands, and he just turns to Thanos, and he's like, let's go. It's it's my favorite part of the, of the MCU so far. Yeah, that was the moment in the theater where everybody was screaming. And obviously, I think it's a lot of people's favorite scenes is when Cap gets the hammer and he's worthy and Thor always knew it. And, and well, I, no, he says like, I, I knew I, it. I knew it. Even though he was arguing with him in Ultron. But they hinted at it in Ultron in the beginning scene when they're all playing around trying to lift the hammer and Cap seems to budget and that's when Thor's like, oh shit. But I, um, I, I think what I've read is that 
Cap has always been worthy. It's just he didn't believe he was no, back I, then. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't think it's that. I think that he knew that he could lift it, but he chose not to to not embarrass Thor in a way because oh. it's important to Thor that he be worthy of the hammer only. So I think for him, he didn't want to mess with Thor's head, so he let him have it because he's a very honorable guy. Cap, he is a very honorable guy. So I think for for Thor's sake, he didn't lift it because he definitely could. If you could budget, you can lift that thing. I guess you're right. Yeah, let's go. Huh. What a nice guy. <laughs> But it's an epic battle because then everyone's back. You know, the, the reverse blip that Hulk did worked. And, uh, well, the best, the first part is that um, Sam walks up besides Cap and says, on your left, great moment, calling back to the, his first uh, moment in the, in the entire MCU. And then everyone one by one basically comes back, and then the sorcerers open up all the portals, and everyone comes, comes through, and we have the most epic battle of all time that's ever been done on cinema before probably in terms of superheroes and, and there are a lot of like i think the most emotional beat of the movie is when tony sees peter again um and you can see how happy tony is to see him back alive yeah it's funny because even though peter's just like talking way too much like he always does that which annoys tony tony's like just so happy to see him yeah, that he hugs him he doesn't even yeah, he doesn't even say and anything then peter's like oh that's nice <laughs> <laughs> but yeah somehow the russos managed to uh, direct this gigantic scene with giving everyone screen time, giving everyone moments, um, putting uh, pieces together, like having that all-female shot, um, having that great hot potato sequence of of the um, of the of the Infinity Gauntlet and well, not the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, Iron Man's Gauntlet, and it's it's a, a stunning sequence. And I, I I was just when this was playing in theaters, I was just like mouth open, just like this is incredible. And then it leads to the the final ending where. Tony, you could say in a way, tricked Thanos into getting the, the Infinity Stones off of him. And Tony sacrifices himself. He, You can tell that he knows he's going to die. And he probably knew he was going to die when he was building the tech for this to be built into his suit. And it's really emotional to watch the leader of the Avengers pass away, the leader of the franchise. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. has been the most important character and actor and, and part of this entire franchise besides, obviously, Feige and, and Favreau. But... It was such an emotional scene. I definitely, was, I think, I wouldn't say I've never cried in a Marvel movie, but I definitely cried like a baby when, when Tony Stark died. And it seemed to be like it was uh, the perfect way for Downey to leave the MCU. Because like you said, he, he played a major role in not just building it, but creating the tone of the MCU. It all, it all stemmed from Iron Man 1 with him and Favreau working together on the tone and the elements of the story of that film, and every Marvel movie is basically based off of that design they came up with. And it's it, people often. It, I feel like it's we all thought maybe Cap would die too, uh, but the reason there's a reason. I think there's a reason why Cap doesn't die, and a reason why Tony does die, because Cap shows from the the moment we meet him in the first in the first Captain America movie. He's he's willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good, right, right from the get go. I mean, he shows that multiple times in the first film, even before his powers. Yeah, be even before his powers. So him, he's always been willing to sacrifice himself, and so for him to go through a, a real full transformation, he needs to find something to live for, and some a reason to not sacrifice himself and not to die. Whereas Tony. It wasn't until Avengers that he d tries to sacrifice himself to save New York. Um, but he, he obviously, we all know, started out as a selfish, arrogant person who's just trying to gather as much wealth and power and success and and have as much fun in life as he could. Whereas he, need, he from the beginning of his character, 
need to find something to die for. And so that's why I think Cap survives and Iron Man um, dies in this film. Gonna make me make me cry right now, guy. And that's why Cap goes back in time to live a life like a, a, a nice life. It's even more emotional later on when the funeral of Tony Stark. It's 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 in, it's powerful to see all the characters there in one set, one setting, one shot, one long take. I'm not sure if any of them were green screened in. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if some of them were maybe, but to have them all there at one location. One shot, the camera just one moving. chance, <laughs> one opportunity. <laughs> Sees everything everyone. But to have the, just the camera move through them all one by one, you can see like it's each movie franchise in a way. We finally see Nick Fury. Yeah, <laughs> Fury's been chilling up there. He's been hanging out. Sam Jackson got paid like two hundred two hundred thousand dollars to stand on a porch for five minutes. And is is that's Quicksilver too at the end, right? Where? No. Who's, who's the kid? Who's the teenager? What teenager? There's like a 20 year old kid in it. I don't know who that was. I, that you're right. I, yeah, I don't know who that is. I think that's Quicksilver. How would it be Quicksilver? I don't know. I can't remember. Like as in Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver? No, the other Quicksilver. No, no, that wasn't. That wasn't. Who hit. was that? Oh, it's it's the kid that from oh, Iron from Man, Iron Man 3. Three. Yeah, that's oh, who it is. Who helped him with his suit and everything, it, and he hooked him up it. with all the. That's who it was. I was that man. I, he, I had no idea who that was. That makes sense now. They should have made it a little more, like him holding the sign, like, I'm from Iron Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun little Easter egg. That's, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's cute. But um, yeah, it's emotional. And then the scene, the hologram of him talking to everyone in the living room and, and talking to his, his daughter. It's so emotional, his daughter watching him, ending with saying, I love you 3,000, which Tony, which uh, Downey's real kid said to him one time, and they actually decided to use it for Avengers. Um, it's just really emotional and sad. You wish Tony didn't have to die, but I think it's important when a hero does die because it makes the story that much more meaningful. Especially, he's been in eleven movies. He had there's his time had to come. You know, Marvel's like we don't want to pay Robert Downey Jr. anymore. We can't keep giving him fifty million dollars. He a made movie. five million for three days of work on Spider Man. Okay, we can't do this anymore. This Actually, guy, they definitely can. <laughs> this guy is rake. Like they've reached the point where like they don't need to pay anyone that much money because he was the face of the entire brand for a decade, but now he isn't. Yeah. There's so many other characters that everyone loves. So um, actually, Chris Hemsworth got the paid the most money for this movie. Chris Hemsworth earned $80 million for Endgame. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's absurd, right? I think Downey got $50 million. It's the first time anyone made more than Downey. Yeah, but how much did he get for Infinity War? I'm guessing around $80 million Yeah, so I Infinity bet you he ended up making more out of both movies combined. Yeah. yeah. Which is just insane, the yeah. amount of money they made. But hey, when your movies make almost $3 billion, <laughs> and you're the lead, <laughs> so you can get. All right, let's do some superlatives, unless you want something else to bring up. Superlatives it is. All right, who's the MVP of this movie? Tony Stark. Absolutely, it's Tony Stark for sure. Yeah, Downey has a great performance. He has the most emotional transformation in he just his the conclusion of his story arc and his character arc is just perfect. Yeah, I also put Downey as best actor because this is I think so did I. His best performance in the in the franchise outside of Iron Man 1 for sure. Yeah. Uh best scene, the final battle yeah. without a doubt. It's epic. Yeah. For me, it's similar to what I chose in Infinity War. It's, oh. it's Natasha sacrificing herself for the Soul Stone because I think it's the most powerful scene in the movie where an Avenger sacrifices themselves knowing they'll never be able to come back. It's a permanent change. It's a permanent death. The Stones won't bring her back even though Banner tries to. But it also, it's a good conclusion to her character 
And it kind of flips on its head the the guy always sacrificing himself in the movie, and now it's a, a female character sacrificing herself for the greater good of the of the film and the storyline. And I think it's a great moment where I, I love the part where both Clint and Natasha are, are are battling each other to be the one to die for the Soul Stone to try to save the universe. And so I think it's the most powerful scene in the movie besides the ending. It's a great scene of Tony dying, but yeah, I love that scene. Man, both soul 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 stone scenes. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, soul stone scenes. That's a tongue twister. Soul, soul stone, stone scenes. scenes. I couldn't even say it. Say it, three, <laughs> say it fast. No, I'm good. Soul, soul, soul stone scenes. scenes. <laughs> I can't say it. It's tough. Yeah, but both are full of both those scenes are the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, it's great. All right, best shot. Uh, I, I'm gonna say Cap lifting Thor's hammer when it comes to him. Yeah, I, I said the same thing when he gets when he catches the hammer. Best it, line. I'm Iron Man. I am Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, most underrated aspect. I'm gonna say it's the CGI because I think everyone just forgets how good it is because it's just oh, it's the Avengers, but like it's crazy. It's absurdly good in this movie. Like Thanos, of course, is phenomenal, but every aspect of the CGI in this movie, it just blows my mind every time. I'd say just the practicality of filming that final battle. It's so gigantic. There are so many moving parts, so many lead characters and actors, like movie stars, like there's a, more than a dozen of them, and I just think that being able to pull that off, making it easy to follow, um, making it uh, have its own story, um, I think they really pulled off a stunning uh, sequence with that film. That is that. a scheduling nightmare. Yeah, to get all of them together for it's the crazy. different parts over the I don't know how many months that they took must to have. Film. They must have booked these actors like three years in advance, probably, to, to seal these the weeks of shooting they had because like these are a list actors, like they're all working. So they had to have hooked in for the at least these three months for a long time ahead of schedule. Oh, and just back on CGI, I think the best uh, aspect of the CGI in this movie is the Quantum Realm suits, the white ones. Those aren't suits. Those That's CGI. That's how good it is in this movie. Yeah, the costume design department, um, they didn't have enough time to actually, to actually finish the design because not only do they have to design it, they have to fit the actors, they have to find the materials and, and build them and like make prototypes and adjustments. And so... These movies were shot so quickly that they just ran out of time, and so they just had the design and the afterwards. And so they, the, the Avengers actually just wore their normal suits, whatever their suit would be, and then they CGI those white suits on for the entire film. Yeah, it takes a lot of time to get this That's stuff done. Crazy. Like, even just like even a suit in the Batman movies, you think it's like oh they'll do it in a couple of weeks. That takes months, maybe even years, yeah. to make those suits yeah. just to come up with the designs and everything. Um, I also think that Alan Silvestri's music in this is great. It's the best of all the Avengers movies because we talk about in the other Avengers and Marvel films how most of them, the music, you know, it sounds the same. They hit the same beats in a way and, you know, they have kind of a blueprint. But I think uh, Silvestri did a great job with this one. It had a little more freedom because I think the best one of all the movies all in the MCU is Winter Soldier. I love that score so much because it's so different from everything else. But I think Sylvester did a great job with this one. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Faults with this movie? Faults. Well, I'll go first. I know it's a superhero movie, but I feel like it'd be cool if, like, the countries of Earth, they had a right to fight this battle, too. And obviously, that'd kind of be impossible to do. But I think it would have been cool to have, like, Earth's armies fighting with the Avengers together and working in solidarity for the first time. But, I mean, how do you do that? I mean, you, you need fire jets and tanks and, and nuclear bombs and stuff like that. So it's it That'd be cool, though. But it'd be cool to just have, like, some squadrons of, like, China and America and England and all these other countries so that everyone gets to represent Earth in a way. That was cool. My fault, my one fault is that I thought, so I love Fat Thor, but I thought that he would be able to, like, slim him down. Like, you know how he can 
put his outfit on with the lightning and braid his braid beard. his beard. I thought that like <laughs> when he was when he shot down the lightning on himself to transform his suit, he was gonna like transform his body into like a uh, a strong physique again. But then he was still he was still big. So I was like, oh, I th- oh man, that would be cool if he like transformed to like his former self. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that the first maybe couple times of this movie, I thought Fat Thor was hysterical and so funny. For like the first half of the movie, then then I'd be I thought the same thing. I thought that he'd like do like a superhero workout and like just burn it all off in like yeah. a minute. But um, I think the more and more times I've seen this movie, I accept it. And I think it's just fine at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah. It's okay, but it's just it's just part of the character. You could say where he still is just. It's not until he gets this, he lights himself up, ready to fight, that he's ready to accept his redemption in a, in a way. So maybe it takes him that entire time to get the confidence back, and it's not until he's back on Asgard where he talks to his mom to get his confidence back, and he's still worthy. So I think it took that time to to for him to want to fight again. Yeah, yeah, good point. So why would he do some crunches? Want to do some trivia? Yes. Marvel fans started a petition trying to get Robert Downey Jr. nominated for the Best Actor Oscar this year, the the year this movie came out. Not, ju- not just for this movie, because he only has like 18 minutes of screen time, but for his whole body of work as Tony Stark. And I understand the sentiment, and I understand that fans love him so much and is in, in Iron Man and Tony Stark so much, but that's just not how the awards work. You can't like nominate someone for 10 years' worth of work. You can get an honorary Oscar as... Uh, an artist but i think that like it, it he's, he's people some people need to accept like you know what people aren't going to get nominated for oscars in superhero movies at least not yet it's not something that is likely to happen unless you're playing a villain in a dark film heath ledger yeah, yeah. but um for something like this especially because he only has like under 20 minutes of screen time he's not going to get nominated so i understand what they're trying to do but i think it was a little uh a little just like w- wanting too much you know what i mean Avengers Endgame was so successful that it reached $1 billion during its opening weekend in theaters. The first movie to ever do this. Thanos has actually always been Iron Man's arch enemy in the Marvel comic books universe. And he was actually the first villain in the... He was the first Iron Man villain back in 1973. All right, that wraps our episode on Avengers Endgame. And so we finished up the the last two films of the Avengers MCU Concluding the phases one through four, I think, right? Yes. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and follow us and subscribe on YouTube if you want to watch our show and hit up hit us up on Patreon, become a patron, get those awesome perks, and thank you so much for tuning in wherever dun, you are. Dun, 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 dun.